Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben Murgy. Welcome to Yehopitzville, brought to you by Pear Tree Canada. I hope you're having a, a good day. It's getting warmer. The country is warming up. I hope it doesn't get too warm, but it's warming up and uh, people are being downright overconfident walking around in short sleeve shirts. But I love it and I'm happy it's happening. Uh, you know, I've been to Newfoundland. Well, the first time I went to Newfoundland, I went to St. John's. I was working for the public broadcaster and we were doing some programs and it was a November day and the rain, it wasn't really rain. It was like insults that were just smacking you on the head every four seconds as I walked around the, the city. And I went home and I was asked, how, how was it? And I said, that's a, that's a tough place to be. That's tough. And then three months later, somebody said, uh, we're doing an open house uh, at uh, CBC there, and would you like to go? And I jumped at the chance. I thought, oh, that kind of surprised me because it's such a unique, it's, it is a country of its own, Newfoundland. Ever since then, I've, I've been to uh, Gross Morin National Park. I've been to um, uh, Deer Lake once. Um, I've been to different parts of the province and enjoyed different things while I was there. Uh, and now I find myself talking to somebody who has made Deer Lake home, and I want to know everything about that choice and what it's meant. So Shana Lerman is my guest on Yehupitzville, and uh, welcome. Well, nice to have a chance to chat, and as they say in Newfoundland, that I'm on the left coast, which is the best coast. <laughs> okay, tell me, uh, first of all, before we get into all of it, tell me about Deer Lake. Well, I actually can't tell you all that much. I've only lived here a little bit under two years. So I moved here in autumn of 2020, six months into the pandemic. I'd say one of the, there's two major things about Deer Lake that make it more important than a town its size might otherwise be, is that there is a regional airport, which um, is here for most it's, it's very important to the west coast of, of the island of Newfoundland. And there are flights, now that flights are flying again, there are planes to get into that go to Toronto and Montreal, Ottawa. Uh, during the pandemic, of course, it was pretty quiet. And then the other thing about Deer Lake, the geography of where Deer Lake is, requires people when they get off the ferry regardless of whether they're going up the northern peninsula or if you want to go to the ferry, you have to pass through Deer Lake, whether you're coming from St. John's or any place east of here. So it is a kind of a crossroads of the province. A hub. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And uh, it's a very pleasant place to live. It's very compact and easy to get around and no major traffic. I'm lucky enough to have a house right across the street from the lake, and there's a beautiful sand beach, which is something you don't often see in Newfoundland. So no. it's a very nice, it's a pleasant, easy place to live. Can you actually swim there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, you, the Deer Lake is very swimmable. And then there's other, Newfoundland, there's other lakes and ponds. Uh, small lakes are called ponds here, but Deer Lake is actually called Deer. And actually, I found out something surprising about the name Deer Lake which has to do with, um, in the province of Newfoundland, there aren't any deer. Uh, there's caribou, but no deer. And somehow in the Mi'kmaq language, which is the language of indigenous people who live in this part of the, the province, the word for deer and caribou is the same. Hmm. So somehow it got lost in translation 
that a province that has no deer named a town and a lake Deer Lake. Do you have moose? Definitely have moose. So after, after the sun starts to go down, is it safe to drive the highways or do you have to stay off in case there's moose? Well, it depends on the time of year. I, I certainly have seen moose, you know, next to the road. You, they've been pretty good. Highways has been pretty good about cutting back brush. So you have a chance to slow down and not hit moose. But um, generally, if the advice is if you don't have to travel at dawn and dusk, particularly during you know, spring until winter time comes again, you try to avoid it. People do drive, but it, you know, I, I try not to drive at that time. And I, you know, you, you, it's nice if you see them ahead of time, you can just pull over and watch them. Yeah, but if you hit them, uh, you're not going to make it. No, they're, they're no, huge. No. They're absolutely huge. And people do die and yeah. or get paralyzed, and certainly the moose die as well. You know, all yeah. in all, avoiding a moose is a good idea. It's a very good idea. Uh, so, what prompted you to move to Deer Lake? Well, I think it's a longer story than that. I mean, coming to Newfoundland was sort of the major thing, and then ending up here was sort of a minor story for me. Um, I just so moved to Deer Lake. the major story. Why did you yeah, move? The to major Lake? story is I was at the time living in Nova Scotia and decided I needed to get a job. From the, and I applied to jobs in New Brunswick and in Newfoundland, and I was hired by someone to come to Newfoundland. And so I took the job. That was in 2000. Hmm. So, had you been there before? Yes, I had been. I had gone the summer of uh, 2000. I came for a, a little holiday. And prior to that, I had not been in Newfoundland since the early 1970s. And so it was quite a change. You know, things had hmm. changed here quite dramatically since then. And uh, yeah. And Newfoundland, I think, for a lot of people who come here, whether for work or, or on holiday and are drawn to move here, it's, I call it a magical place. Um, it isn't for everyone, but if you like uh, the outdoors, if you like spectacular nature and scenery, and um, you're prepared to uh, learn a lot about weather and living with all kinds of weather, it's a place that has a certain amount of freedom that and uh, creativity that you don't necessarily find other places. I don't know. That's my experience. Yeah, yeah. So uh, then there's the other factor, which is for some people, when you're Jewish, you think to yourself, am I going to have any company if I move somewhere? And if you don't think you're going to have enough company, for some people, they don't want to go. And for other people, they think that's just fine. So how did your Jewishness play into the decisions you've made about coming to Newfoundland and eventually even going to Deer Lake? Well, I can tell you that I had been living in small Jewish communities um, as opposed to big cities since the 1980s. And I had, I had moved from Ontario uh, to, I moved from Toronto area to Victoria, BC. And that in, in the 1980s, the Victoria Jewish community was on a, pretty much of a decline. And so that was my first encounter of realizing that there are possibilities to have a rich Jewish life where the numbers of people don't count as much as what each person is prepared to put into it. 
So uh, when you go to communities that don't necessarily have a rabbi or don't necessarily have everything set up, that, that in fact participation factor that allows people to create you know, programs and uh, it, it really caught, caught me. I, I quite enjoyed that first experience. And then I've lived in other small Jewish communities where um, I was in Indianapolis Valley in the 1990s, and um, we were able just a bunch, you know, the this couple of Jewish people got together and said, "Well, you know, people don't necessarily want to go to Halifax for what Halifax has to offer. Uh, let's try to start something here." And so we just put some classifieds into a local paper, and uh, this, this, I was in Wolfville, and. Of course, there's Acadia University, and so there were some Jewish professors and their families. And um, so that group got off the ground in, the, in 1997, and it still exists all these years later, and it's grown. And I just, there's a certain challenge to it, but also the flip side of the coin that, that, that you just brought up, Ralph, has to do with whether or not when you're in a big Jewish community that's very, you know, sort of stable and everything's um, being developed for really geared at people who are, you know, expect a certain kind of Jewish life. For people who don't necessarily fit into that, it's often feels a little bit rigid and, and like it's hard to find your place in some of the bigger communities. Tell me more about that, that idea of more flexibility in a smaller community. Well, again, you can call it the do-it-yourself Jewish life um, and because there's no one to do it for you. And the people that it, it seems to me that are attracted are, for the most part, people who are more secular than religious. Some are in intermarried families, but not all. Um, people who want to have Jewish holidays, people who are very strongly cultural Jews, intellectually Jews, um, the, you know, interest in God isn't as important as it might be for more religious communities. But there is a certain, actually, one of the perhaps ironies about it is when you're trying to get together a small Jewish community, first of all, you don't have the old edifice complex, right? You have no building and right. you're never going to have a building. So you're not worrying about keeping that building going. You're, what you're doing is you're scrambling to find places you can meet for free, you know, whether it's people's homes when you're first starting out. But there's just a dynamic and energy. And I, I think in many ways, it brings me back to when I was in Hebrew school long time ago, and the word, you know, what is a rabbi? You know, what is a rabbi? And, it, you know, even though the profession of rabbi, you know, it definitely is very, very real, and it takes years to get the knowledge, but the very basis of it was rabbi is teacher, and that in a small Jewish community, you get to be both student and teacher, and you're learning together, and you're doing things together. And, um, I found it really rewarding and a play. The other thing is it's a focus on small is beautiful. You know, you're not going to necessarily say here on the West coast, I was able to connect with a couple of Jewish families and we would get together for Rosh Hashanah or uh, for Pesach for a Seder. 
and, and we had a couple of Hanukkah parties. And, you know, it wasn't a big crowd by any means. I mean, it was a number of people would fit in somebody's living room. And that was just fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it still felt like you had the holidays. It still... Yeah, you know, something you said just now was really interesting in that idea that how much energy goes into, in, in larger communities, infrastructure, Jewish infrastructure, having a building, getting a rabbi, raising money, uh, all this stuff takes a, a lot of effort. And instead, you you know, you're sort of, you do it yourself, sort of DI, why not? You know, <laughs> you're just going, okay, I'm Jewish and there's things I want to do. And it's not impossible to find a few uh, kindred souls. And uh, I'm just going to be fine. So how has it affected your Jewish identity to be a small town Jewish person? Well, I, I think it goes beyond even that question, because I decided quite a while ago, I mean, I'm going on 40 years, that when I realized I wasn't going to be a city person anymore, that there is value in having Jews living in disparate places. And the reason is, and it's sort of counterintuitive, but I think it's important that people who have never met a Jew, when they meet someone living in their community and didn't even know there were Jews there, it's a valuable thing because it creates, it shatters some of the stereotypes they might have had about Jews. And it also creates a bond. And in this province, which in many ways, demographically is 50 years behind the kind of diversity you see in other, most parts of Canada, that for this province to to go ahead, to go forward in the world, to continue to exist, given that the demographics also show that Newfoundland and Labrador is the has the old highest percentage of older people. So this idea of being the other and meeting people who have never met a Jew and being able to talk with them about that and share whatever, you know, answer questions and just be there and share our holidays and be invited to their places for their holiday. It's a good thing. Yeah, you're like an ambassador. I don't feel like an ambassador. I feel like a real person. But I can also tell you, there certainly are people who exoticize Jews. Never mind the vilifying. The exoticizing is very weird. And um, yeah. What's that word? Exoticize. What what does that mean? Well, I've heard it first of Asian uh, women, in particular women, referring about that in their relationships with men who weren't Asian, white men in particular, exoticizing Asian women, expecting the women to be a certain oh, way. I see, exoticizing, so they become exotic to you. Yes. yes. Yeah. And therefore more attractive because they're not what you come from. So look at me, I'm in a different well, world. But the problem with exoticizing is it, it takes away a person being a whole human being especially if, if, if you find it a little bit annoying, if not downright offensive. <laughs> um, but I mean, as I said, the other thing about being in this province and living a rural life is all the things I've learned from Newfoundlanders about 
endurance and what the word is a very commonly used word here is cobbling people who you know make something out of nothing that you know just things like there's a certain kind of fence that people have built over generations where you take branches from trees and kind of weave them together and and create a fence and the the skills the life skills that it's it's been wonderful to observe it, but also to see how valuable, you know, the lives of, for, as outsiders look at Atlantic Canada and have always felt, you know, the, the poor cousins, right? The poor cousins of the rest of Canada. But if you look a little closer, the strength and the ability to weather storms in life, both real meteorological and the other kinds, um, this was the best place to be in Canada during COVID. Mm. You know, there yeah, was no better. Low rates, yeah. From award-winning journalist Marsha Lederman comes Kiss the Red Stairs, a compelling memoir of Holocaust survival, intergenerational trauma, divorce, and discovery that will guide readers through several lifetimes of monumental change. Marsha was five when a simple question led to a horrifying answer. She asked her mother why she didn't have any grandparents. Her mother told her the truth, the Holocaust. Decades later, her parents dead and herself a mother to a young son, Marsha begins to wonder how much history has shaped her own life. Reeling in the wake of a divorce, she craves her parents' help. But in their absence, she is gripped by a need to understand the trauma they suffered, and she begins her own journey into the past to tell her family stories of loss and resilience. Kiss the Red Stairs, available now wherever books are sold. So I, you ran for office, did you not? I have run for the NDP, the provincial pre NDP, three times since I arrived here in 20, in 2000, yes. 2003, 2011, and my last, the grand finale was in the COVID election. And uh, yeah. Who did you run against in the last election? Oh, well, I ran against the, the, the premier, premier fury and a local lawyer. How'd you do? Jeez. Well, considering that the day before the election, the actual vote was to be held. There was an outbreak of COVID, which shut, shut the whole thing down. And then they went to mail-in ballots that many, many people didn't get their ballots. And so it was, a, it was the election of disenfranchisement. Yeah, the ultimate voter suppression, I think. Yeah, absolutely it was. How did I do? Listen, when you run for the NDP in Newfoundland and you're not in St. John's or in Labrador because that's the only place yeah. to get our seats. You don't expect to win. And your elections, you know, your campaign, you're a one-person show, and you do the best you can. And during the pandemic, that was, you know, it wasn't easy. But I do, I believe it's important for voters who, to have a, the option to vote for whom, whichever party they want. So there's, so you stand for the election, and you know you're going to get your rear yeah. end kicked. <laughs> Did your religion ever come into it in politics? Did anybody try to bring that up as, you know, you're not from around here and that sort of thing? Well, the come from away thing is constant. 
That's constant. And that's not, don't forget as a Jew, most of us are invisible minorities. So you'd have to talk with me for a while to find out that I wasn't a Christian. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this is very white Christian. I certainly, the xenophobia is much more an issue than outright anti-Semitism. And the xenophobia never goes away, particularly with older people. Yeah, I mean, I know a few people who've lived in not just Newfoundland, but the Maritimes as well, Yeah, uh, who are never from there. They've been right. there for 40 years, but they're always from away. Right. But how that, you know, that again, that phenomenon is dying off. It's the older people who feel that way, in particular a lot of older, uneducated people who have not had much economic opportunity in their lives because of their lack of education. And there's a certain defensiveness about people coming to the province and, oh, you took my job. Well, I didn't really take your job. Did you apply for the job that I now have? No. I said, and why didn't you apply for it? Well, I didn't have the uh, the skills for it. Well, guess what? I did. You know, you just have to, <laughs> you just, you just get over yourself, right? Everybody just cut it out. But <sighs> that'd be a good campaign slogan. Just get over yourself or, or cut it out. One of the two. Well, you know, it's, these are things you come to recognize. I mean, the second I open my mouth and say anything, they know I'm not from here. Mm-hmm. And so regardless, I mean, some of the worst of it has come in. The, I was talking to Michael about this, about living in central Newfoundland, which is the Bible belt of this province. Right. As you know, there were denominational schools here until the 1990s, for God's sake. So the Catholic, there was a Catholic school board, a Protestant school board, and a Pentecostal school board. Wow. And so in central Newfoundland, it was all run by the Pentecostals. And the impact of that cannot be uh, underestimated. Right. In terms of shaping culture. Living in this province has taught me a lot about the impact of culture that we don't truly realize until you come up against it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you're speaking of it in a generally negative way, right? No, it doesn't have to be negative, but... You know, culture shapes our our, not, our attitudes and our life experiences. And uh, it's really magnified for me how different my upbringing was from that of other people. So is Deer Lake a, a kind of a final stop? You think you've found home or is no. home a moving target? Home is always a moving target for me. Hmm. I, I actually, I have um, lupus. Right. And I don't know if you know anything about this illness but it makes a person very heat and sun sensitive. So I can't abide the heat at all. And I'm I'm quite a polar bear. I love the snow and the cold. So if I'm, I'm hoping to buy a place on the Northern Peninsula, right near Labrador, St. Anthony area. I was just there a week ago where there's still winter, there's still winter. So I could take my dog and cross country ski and have the nice cool ocean breezes and look at sea ice and, Hopefully icebergs will be in. So that's a place I might live at least part-time of the year. You know, other people go to Florida in the winter to get <laughs> the cold. Shana moves to the Northern Peninsula to get more cold. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, 
if if hot is bad, then yeah. And, and unfortunately, with the planet heating up, you might have to keep moving north at that point. It's kind of the way it is. So if you had advice for somebody who was thinking, who was Jewish, who was thinking, you know, I'm from Montreal or Toronto or Vancouver or whatever, Winnipeg, uh, or even Halifax. But, you know, I, I like country living. I like small town living. What would you tell them to keep in mind to, to allow them to feel in their own way, their Jewishness, but also to allow them to incorporate themselves into these smaller places? Well, the old far be it for me to give advice, but I, I think it really depends on how well a person knows themselves and what their priorities are. I mean, obviously, if you're a religious Jew and you want to, you know, go down three times a day at a shul, living in a rural community isn't going to work for you. But if you're the kind of person that being Jewish, yes, is an integral part of your identity, but you have other key things that are, you know, if somebody says to you, tell me about yourself, and you, you know, you start listing off the things that you're interested in and what you do and blah, blah, blah. If being Jewish is on par with being in nature, which, as we all know, Judaism certainly, you know, nature is an important part of being a Jew. You know, the God of the, the, God that, of the creator part of God. It isn't just about texts and books. So one rabbi once told me many years ago that for most Jewish holidays, not all, but most. There are at least three things going on in any given that holiday that allow any Jew to find some kind of meaning. So one would be an historic event. The other would be divine intervention or something, you know, miraculous that happened that was God's played a part in. And the other was nature, that our holidays uh, mark changes in season. And our symbols of holidays mark those changes with like, like Pesach and Hanukkah. And so, you know, depending on how you see the world and what your spiritual connection is. I mean, for me, God's outside. I, I go to shul and I'm bored. I just want to talk and people search me all the time. So <laughs> um, we're all different. And I guess everybody has to figure this out for themselves. But I do believe you can have some kind of, you know, your question also kind of assumes that all these small communities are fairly similar. What I would say my experience is small communities, uh, you know, there's a, that's a big term for what can be demographically very different. And some places simply have more to offer in terms of a Jewish life than others. I also would say for the younger crowd who is horrified at at the economics of living in a big city, well, come on over to Newfoundland. I mean, the cheapest real estate in the country is here for heaven's sakes. And you can have a good life, but it's going to be a very different life than you ever imagined. I never imagined I'd live in a place like this. I never imagined I'd live the life I've had, but I'm happy for the experiences of being in this place. Lovely. Shana, it's been a pleasure spending a little time with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ralph. Shana Lerman. This has been Yehopitzville, sponsored by Pear Tree Canada. Shana is in Deer Lake, Newfoundland. 
Pear Tree Canada reduces the after-tax cost of giving for Canadian major gift donors. Learn more at PearTreeCanada.com. I'm your host, Ralph Benmergi. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by Louis Samayo. And if you want to travel with us across this great country, visiting more small Jewish communities, subscribe on Apple Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear some more of my work, you can go to ralphbenmergi.ca and you'll find my book, I Thought He Was Dead, and my podcast, Not That Kind of Rabbi. And if you want to hear more Canadian Jewish stories, you can find them at the Canadian Jewish News' website, the cjn.ca. Thanks, and we'll see you next time in Yehopetzville. This episode has been brought to you by Looking Back, Moving Forward, 160 Years of Jewish Life in B.C. Published by the Jewish Museum and Archives of British Columbia for their 50th anniversary, this elegant volume is a once-in-a-generation collection of Jewish life and history throughout the province. Order your copy today at jewishmuseum.ca.